how many of you are thankful for the presence of the Lord? Amen. Anybody have an amen? Wow. I thank the Lord for his presence and for the interaction in our hearts with him, blessing him. I just want to appreciate y'all for being great students, as we call this a, a Bible class or Bible school. Bless each one of you. I like the desks, the chairs, the, the cups, the coffee, the Bibles, the phone. I appreciate y'all being good students. Give yourselves a hand for being a good student. Now look at your neighbor and clap even harder for them. Now, I got one more. I want you to give Jesus the best hand clap you've ever given. He's worthy. He's worthy of all the hand clapping we can give him. I love Jesus. Amen. I have some homework for you to do before uh, my wife comes tomorrow. She'll be joining me um, by tomorrow evening, Lord willing. And she doesn't like when I wear light pants with this outfit. And she prefers my blue slacks. And I want somebody to tell her how good her husband looked this evening. Uh, do a, a daughter date, same time I've learned it from somebody else, and I've been doing it five years, and it shifted some things in my relationship with my teenagers. Remind me where I'm going with this, but um, when the kids were young, I connected easily. I connected well. That was the favorite stage in my mind, even before I was married, when they're young, when they're toddlers, when you teach them how to eat and you change their diaper. And by the age of one, they took their own diaper to the trash can. That wasn't mine to take. It was their poo-poo. And I wasn't about to take their poo-poo. I was willing to change it because they were not able. But they were able to carry it to the place of discard. So... um I enjoyed that age, had a lot of fun with the kids when they were young and, and we were camping. Remind me why I started this story. But um, as they grew older, they'd come up to the age of 11, 12, 13, and I started noticing that not only did their attitude change, somebody say amen, but my attitude towards them began to change, and that really scared me. But interestingly, my wife really and has been the best communicator with teenagers that I've ever come across. They debrief for hours. And it took me five or six years to get a hold of this and to catch up with her. Now I get to be a part of it too. And we have a, a great time together as we brief frequently, sometimes for hours. And so God's been good to us regarding that. And the reason I bring some of that up is um, I've done that for five years now, taking my daughters on a father-daughter date, and we were going to a nice place recently, and 
And so I dressed up a bit, and and one of my daughters dressed me. I let her come to the closet and pick my clothes out. And to my great surprise, she picked out these light pants. And I'm like, yes, I didn't know you're allowed to do that. And so I'm like, I have me some leverage now with my wife. So somebody tell her I look good tonight. That's your homework. So John chapter 4. John chapter 4, as you turn there, we have an incredible story that's told by John the disciple about the woman at the well. Very significant story, a lot of details in it, a lot of preaching has been done over the years regarding Jesus and the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And John did an incredible job recording this story and giving us a window into so many that we even deal with today. I want you to notice the interaction at the well, which so surprised this lady that in the verbiage of the King James Bible, there it wasn't, would you please give me a drink? Jesus instructed her to give him a drink, and, and it startled her. And there's theologians that preach all in and around this verse and why she came in the middle of the day. And there's some incredible truths there in the depths of the Scriptures, and we're not necessarily going to dig into that part tonight. But nevertheless, she was surprised that Jesus, being a Jew would have interaction with her. And those of you who have watched any episodes of The Chosen, uh, remember that story being told uh, by this um, by this movie and the, the writers. Secondly, Jesus introduced her to some living water. If you're in your Bible there, this is not our text, but I want to read these verses because um, I, I couldn't hang over this. I, I just needed to read these verses. Jesus answered and said unto her in verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. And they had previously had this incredible discussion about this well and it being Jacob's well and uh, quite a bit of details about the well. Verse 14, but whosoever, somebody say whosoever. That doesn't only mean the woman at the well. It doesn't only mean those she evangelized. It means you and I. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I shall give him shall be in him a well of water spring up into everlasting life. Now I've been told over the years, I go on so many bunny trails, I've worked on that, but I still do it because as I read this verse, I'm reminded of something. Since I'm told I go on bunny trails anyhow, I'm going to own it and just go on a bunny trail. Because we had the opportunity to dig a well in Cagiato, Africa. It was an area where they had to go up to seven miles to receive water. And at the times of drought... They had extreme conditions in retrieving water and buying water. And the Lord connected us supernaturally with this group of people. 
we had a team that went to scout out the area, minister to them, and we began to seek the Lord about a well. How many of you are thankful for a brother in church or a brother in the family that has lots of money for the kingdom of God? Amen? And so my brother got involved and funded it. But as we funded this well that cost $40,000 because it had to have a solar system, they didn't have power there. But we were told by the surveyors, we had professional surveying done uh, for the well, that they are guesstimating four gallons a minute for this well they were about to dig. Now, in our area, 20, 25 gallons a minute is an average. I don't know what the average is here. And so as they're drilling this well, that God had done a supernatural work in our team, all seven of us in the spirit went underground to release what was underground for the healing of these people. And it was the group that experienced the ladies at a very young age, the FGM. And as we were praying, the Lord took us underground and some supernatural things happened there on the grounds as we had that um, as they were digging the well, the bit ran sideways, and they were not able to retrieve it. It was a $10,000 bit that remained in the earth to this point. And they pulled up, redug the well, and in digging this well, reports started coming back that things are looking good. There may be 10 gallons a minute from this well. In short, after everything was said and done, the pressure gauges were put on, the pump was put in, the tanks were put in. They tested the amount of water, and it was 165 gallons per minute. Put your hands together and praise the Lord at an unlikely. It reminds me of the scripture that says that he'll bring forth waters out of the desert. And in this lady's life, she was experiencing a deep, dark desert. And Jesus here is saying, a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. And to date, they have plenty of water and have been uh, uh, able to avoid many animals dying in a drought they're in currently. Thirdly, I want you to notice that this lady ended up requesting this living water. Left her water pot, which she came to receive out of the well, the vessel that was used, she left it. This weekend, some of you are going to leave something behind to take up something better inside of you. She took back to her city the living water and invited those around her to come. Now think just for a moment before we go into the text, the reputation that this lady had. When she met Jesus and Jesus gave her that living water, it didn't matter what her neighbor thought about her. We're talking about worship. We're experiencing worship. Worship is going to be my subject for the next couple days. 
Worship ought to be experienced at such a level that it doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks about your activity. And so this lady was changed and she invited others to the water. It's in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. The Bible says, But the hour cometh, and now is. Somebody say, now is. Now is now. When the true worshipers, somebody say true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh, somebody say seeketh, such to worship Him. God is His Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So as I said before, over the next couple of days, I want to talk to you about worship. I mentioned this morning in my testimony that from the ages 13 to 19, I had a hard time connecting with God. Very little understanding, if any, regarding the subject of worship. I was well into my 20s with me on the subject of worship. I began to preach in the prisons at the age of 19. Right here in Rowan County. I would go to with my father-in-law and other uh, men from the church here. And we'd go to prison. And I would speak with the inmates in single cell. And there was seven single cell units at A, B, C, and D. And so we would all take an aisle and we would begin to talk with these men. After some time, as I noticed that these guys were hungry for something different than they experienced, and I started noticing as I spoke, across the line of bars, there was only a three and a half foot aisle, that their hands would come to the bars. I could not see their faces because I was speaking with this man. And their hands would come to the bars. And I noticed a whole row of guys with their hands on the bars. And I knew they were listening. And I began to back up. And I began to share with all of them at one time. That and sitting under the preaching of Jerry Mahor in Pennsylvania during those years is when God called me to preach. So I had been preaching for quite a few years. I would guess I was in mid to late 20s when God brought this subject to mind. That I don't know much about worship. I don't feel much differently today, but I sure enjoy the journey that I've been on regarding worship. Spoke to my heart and said, I want you to honor the platform of worship. I had learned at that point how to honor people, those in authority. Remember what I shared about my father? And so three months after the accident, and the Lord showed me how disrespectful I had been to my father, I repented of that, and it was like a washing of the blood of Jesus over me. Would I have not experienced that forgiveness from the Lord, I would have either killed myself or would have been in an insane asylum, as you know with the subject matter that I spoke to my father. 
So I'd learned how to honor those in authority and church leadership and, and others. Not policemen so well. I'm still working on that one because I like to go fast. I have diesel trucks and they don't want to go slow. And so I'm still working on the honor of uh, the police force. When the Lord put on my heart to honor the platform of worship. And again, as our brother mentioned regarding worship, we do tend to think about this as being worship. Because we can easily illustrate it. We can experience it together. And a lot of dynamics. Understanding that there's so many other Intricate parts of worship throughout our life. We're going to look at some of that over the next couple of days. Immediately after I began to, to honor the platform of worship, I started stepping into worship. And I had never experienced anything like it previously. So I've been on a journey of worship. Um, it's hard for me to keep a tune in that one-room schoolhouse in West Virginia where I used to get a lot of whoopings. My uncle was the teacher, and he was good with music. And I was one of maybe one or two that couldn't do the do, re, mi, fa, so's. And I was constantly off tune when we were practicing, and it frustrated my uncle. It was his personal mission um, to get me to behave better. So when I didn't know how to do the do, re, mi's, it frustrated him. So I've not been able to keep a very good tune. But I can raise my hand, and I can make a joyful noise. So that's a little bit of the journey that I've been on. I'll never forget with Gospel Express. I was the evangelist, and there was a singing group there with me. And this was well after I had learned to honor. But when you go into prison crusades, um, they brief us with running the clock backwards. If the service ends at 8 o'clock, you give 15 minutes for an altar call. You give some time for the preaching. You give some time for the singing and the introduction. And all there's many different parts that are in that. And so they taught us as teams to work backwards with the clock because when you're ministering in prison, you don't go late. Somebody say amen. Some of you are going to wish you were in prison tonight till I'm done. And so I'll never forget this event. And, and I wasn't totally healed with the time thing because I wanted a certain amount of time to preach. And um, the individual there that was in charge, the chaplain, and there was a lot of volunteers. It was at a ladies' prison. Four to 500 ladies came out to that event that night. And he came to me knowing that I was going to be doing the preacher preaching. He said, he said, Matthew, he said, we've not had enough time for an altar call in the previous nights. I would like to give 15 to 20 minutes. Okay, yes, sir. Authority, right? Yes, sir. No problem. So we get into the service, and things went longer and longer. And the worship team went longer and longer. And in those days, I still struggled with it a little bit. And God taught me a lesson that night that will forever change my view about ministry or life. Because even this evening, as I was seated back there, I was like, I could use some more of that. And if they just want to, you know, use the preaching time, let's go. Anybody else feeling that tonight? 
You just don't want me to feel bad, huh? I did the math as they were closing down. I had 10 minutes to preach. And I opened the Bible and preached for 10 minutes, gave the altar call, and the ladies kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. After the service, there was puddles all over the altar. There was a lady where they came to get my help, and she was demon-possessed, and she was set free that night. And they were carrying, she went so limp after she got freedom, she couldn't walk. And the volunteers helped carry her out as the service was ending. Worship. Worship in the Hebrew means, is the word shakal, to depress, prowl down, crouch, fall down, humbly beseech, obeisance, do reverence. The first mention is in Genesis chapter 22, verse number 5, with Abraham and Isaac, when he said, I'm going to go to the mountain and worship. We're going to dig into a little bit more of that uh, tomorrow or the next day. That was the first mention of worship. In Greek, Hebrew is, is referenced for the Old Testament, and Greek is reference for the New Testament. Worship in the Greek is proskuneo, meaning to kiss, like a dog licking his master's hand, to fawn or crouch to, to adore. First mention in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 2, verse number 2, where the wise man, men went to worship Jesus. That's the first mention there. At the age of 18, through the work of the Holy Spirit he was doing in my life in those days, the Lord impressed independently from any ministry, from any preacher, from any person that I know of, he independently pressed upon my heart the word interdenominational. Interdenominational, I would have had no idea how to spell it. I counted the letters. There are 19 letters. I'm a very simple-minded man. I think in very simple terms. And so that was a bit complicated to me. But because of the Holy Spirit giving to me, giving it to me, there was immediate revelation upon that. Interdenominational. I've had the opportunity to be a part of, to interact with quite a few different denominations. And as I ask questions and rub shoulders with different groups of people, I began to notice some things. I began to notice why some of our uh, denominations have built certain theology around the subject of worship and, and so many other things. I'll never forget as... And being in my young 20s, I was in, in the country of Turkey. And there there was a church in the inner city where the village to, to gather and worship on Sunday. And I had never experienced anything like it to date and haven't ever experienced anything like it since. The atmosphere of worship was so charged. Many different denominations, many different types of ministries, but there was... A leadership 
to give pastoral leadership to the missionaries. I had never heard of that. And there was approximately 300 people worshiping the Lord. It was such an elevated atmosphere that it branded me, and I never forgot it. Interdenominational. Now, let's have a little bit of fun with this, and I hope I don't bother anybody by it. And for some of you, you may have not even heard of these words, but I dug into some of this, and and I'm not that one that just keeps going after digging, digging, and studies words and roots and meanings and Hebrew and all of that. But here's what I discovered in the study that I did do. Because the term Reformed theology started meaning something to me. And the other term, evangelical theology. Because I wonder deep in my heart why there's such a different view of God, how to do church and all of that. Now, I understood the Bible teaches different administrations. I mean, sometimes I wonder, have we read that? tend to be so critical of others that do it differently than we do. And we... we tend to spend hours of conversation, and God knows how many meetings we're going to have regarding the way somebody ministers, the way somebody says something, and we use names and denomination. It goes on and on. Now, you guys don't, but that's some of the world that I've been around as I dug into some of this. Reformed theology regarding the subject of worship is low expression, outwardly. Now, let me be very clear. I have no intention of having any sway of which one you favor. Okay? As, as honest as I know how to be, I'm not here to push you one way or the other. I'm here to explain something about worship. Low expression, liturgical, traditional, the fear of God emphasized, reverence. So then I began to understand why growing up when we would go to church, when we sat down, we weren't supposed to be talking. It was supposed to be completely quiet until the service started. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's G regarding worship. Now, would you not agree with me that that's the truth side? Jesus said, I'm seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. Would you not agree that the Reformed theology leans heavily on the true side? Yes or no? Yes? So the evangelical theology, sometimes termed as charismatic, high expression, non-traditional, full body involvement, even what the term is slain in the spirit, Loud and dancing. Now, would you not agree with me that that tends to seem more like the spirit side? I'm I'm here to help somebody to kind of understand a little bit why our behavior. And you add personality into this, and it's a whole nother level. And so it helped me to understand why there's such a separate denominations. And then you have the Protestant churches, and then you have even, and, and make a, a differential there, which Anabaptists would be primarily Reformed theology, 
But if you dig deep enough and far enough back, some of these Anabaptists had some behavior that would really bother us. Okay? So the Lord is doing something really cool in the age of today. Even as I shared some of this verbiage, it's like, what are you talking about? Well, from my age on up, we know exactly what we're talking about regarding some of those things. Now, let me illustrate it this way before I move forward. And did I mention um, earlier that tonight's message is an introduction to worship? And then we're going to dig in to see how it applies to some of our lives. This is only an introduction. But it's going to take most of the evening to accomplish the material that I have here. Now, when... David experienced the return of the ark back to Israel. Do you remember the story? Do you remember his expression? Do you remember the accusation that came towards him in his behavior of his dancing when the ark of... See, there's an expression that some people just can't hold back with their appreciation for the presence of the Lord. And he showed out. And we applaud that. And as he showed out, and I'm not here to tell you how much of his clothes went off, but some of his clothes began to go off because his clothes was a picture of restriction. And sometimes those things that restrict us need to be cast off. I'll never forget up in a hotel room when some hound dogs of heaven, men of God, knew that I need the next step of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some supernatural things happened in and around that that I might or might not tell you later. But as the Holy Spirit came upon me, I was coming out of the crusade in Florida, and my jacket went off, went off. I had to pull off the restrictions that were on me because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible references more than once of nakedness regarding the presence of the Lord. Now, I hope you understand what I'm trying to communicate And what the word, the best I know how, is trying to communicate. But it's much more raw than we're willing to entertain. What this means regarding worship. I believe David worshipped both in spirit and in truth. But the expression of it was much more spirit in that moment. Now let me ask you this. When Job went through the loss that he went through. And messenger after messenger after messenger kept coming and telling him what happened. Up to the one that came and said, all of your kids have died. The building fell on him. And Job drops to his knees. And the Bible said he worshipped the Lord. Later on he said, the Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, in that context, it seemed like Job was worshiping out of truth. 
instead of out of spirit. Does that make sense? The Lord is who worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's why when you see the Lord moving, some songs there might be dancing and jumping and others people are falling out in the presence of the Lord. To worship is one thing. To worship with understanding is another. To worship in spirit and in truth is to worship out of experience and a deep understanding of who God is. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 3 it says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence. Somebody say, no confidence. No confidence in the flesh. Our flesh regulates us way, excuse me, too many times. So tonight, by way of introduction to the subject of worship, I would like to give you one, not three or five tonight. I want to give you one foundational truth at the beginning of this series regarding worship. That foundational call to worship. The call to worship. For the Father seeketh such to worship. I believe there's many true worshipers here tonight. I'm not necessarily going by body language when we worship. And we as preachers and men and women of God, and you a man and woman of God, Sometimes we perceive things and sometimes we're right. But still, God has given us a sense of what the atmosphere is doing when you go to an event. And I'm thankful for the freedom that I'm able to operate in on this platform. I'm thankful for the freedom that the worship team is able to operate on in this platform. And that is primarily to do with your receptiveness. Amen? So thank you. A- amen. Let's try that again. That was okay, but we can do better. Amen. I believe that I'm preaching and speaking to some true worshipers that will go against the grain of normal worship. When I get around What's happening here? It's very difficult for me to get in my truck and put Christian radio on. I end up hitting the button. It just doesn't cut it many times. True worshipers. The Father is seeking those that worship. He's seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. The Father's ending invitation to worship. Not only tonight, but every day of your life. With the truth of the Father seeking true worshipers, do we recognize that as a truth from the Word, with the communication with the woman at the well, that He's seeking true worshipers? I would like to ask a question based on that truth. What is God's true worth? This afternoon, Steve communicated with us your worth. And for some of us, 
It took a long time to get a hold of that truth. Others got a hold of it quickly. I don't know how to explain it. Probably from the story you heard this forenoon from my life, you picked up. It took me a long time to get a hold of the value that God has placed on me. And he talked about what Jesus gave in order for you to have eternal life. Do you remember? He didn't give his right hand. You hear the term, I'd give my right hand for so-and-so to happen. And some people are really serious because that's how great that need is. That's how great that vacuum is. I'd give my right hand. Then others have joked as a, a, a way of referencing how important something is to them, hand for something. And yet Jesus gave his life. That communicated with us our worth. But my question to you as we just pause here for a little bit is what is God's worth? Did you catch that this morning? The, the uncreated one? Everything we know and see and hear and smell and touch is created. You and I are created. The uncreated one. What's he worth? What's his value? It's finite. Does he have bounds or limits? Can he be measured? 32 inches? 32 feet? 32 miles? Can he be measured? Light years? Is he subject to limitations or conditions? Limited to space, time, circumstances, or the laws of nature? Or is he infinite? Immeasurably great. Unlimited to space, time, and circumstances, unbounded, unlimited, boundless, endless. We're talking about our Father, which is in heaven. What you believe about God determines how you respond to this call to worship. This call to worship, this invitation of God seeking true worshipers is one of the greatest invitations that you'll ever hear about or experience in your life. Briefly, I would like to notice two specifics before we're done of a call to worship. The invitation, it's a standing invitation. Hereafter a little bit. I'm going to give you an opportunity as we're standing and, and closing the service. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come and say right around the front. And by your coming, you're saying, 
Whether I've signed up before or not, I'm coming, I'm stepping into it. No matter what has happened in my life, no matter what, I'm dead center in the middle of it. No matter how much the pain is hurting now, I'm going to walk to the front and sign up to be a true worshiper. A worshiper that worships in spirit and in truth. A worshiper that worships day in and day out. A worshiper that raises his hands whether you feel like it or not. A worshiper that shouts even when it's not very that's committed. Somebody that has true grit that's in for the long haul. A true worshiper that it goes with you till the day you die. And you become known as a true worshiper. A worshiper not only with reformed theology, not only with evangelical theology, but one that embraces both, hugs both of them, just like you hug both of your children. And there's times you'll weep. There's times you'll jump. But by coming, you're telling God, I'm signing up. I'm all in. No qualifications. No strings attached. True worshipers. The call to worship. A, I want to look at the attack of the call. The attack of the call. For some of us, the attack blindsided us. We know we don't battle against flesh and blood, against family members, brothers and sisters or parents or children, or brothers and sisters in the church, the verse, but why do we have such relational trouble? One of the reasons is... Because of the attack of the call. Now, I don't know the price you paid, but I know some of the price I paid when I walked towards being a true worshiper. And I hesitate giving an invitation even tonight because of the attack of the call. But some of you, many of you have already signed up, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. The enemy, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Or he comes as an angel of light to deceive you. I don't understand it all, but I know when a worship leader that leads worship, he's not only a worship leader, worship leader, but they lead worship. When that person stands here and works with a team of one or more people, you can be assured that the enemy 
has one of his best sharpshooters at 600 yards plus. Too far away to see. Too far away to know where it's coming from. You can be assured that there's a sharpshooter already pre-chosen to take him out. I'll never forget going to prison for years and preaching a service there in Trenton, South Carolina, year after year. And they'd have somebody get in leadership with the worship right you know, from the inmates. And it would go up and it'd fall and it'd go up and it'd fall because they didn't understand some of the attack. And they'd bicker once and function each other. And, and this guy wanted to do this. And they just couldn't function in unity. The attack. Lucifer, Satan himself, that was heaven's worship leader, knows something about all of this. That's why there's an all-out attack from hell upon a true worshiper. Whether you're seated in your seats or whether you're on the platform. We don't have to talk long about the Mondays after conference or the Mondays after Bible school. The attack of the call. If you want some really good material regarding Satan and him falling from heaven and information regarding worship that will really change your life, listen to some preaching by Robert, Pastor Robert Morris. Does some of the best teaching that I've ever heard regarding Satan, worship, the attack of it, and so many elements that go along with worship. Satan's not okay with God getting the glory. Not only the attack of the call, but the answer to the call. The first step is being born again. How many of you are born again, and if you would die tonight, you know where you would spend eternity, and that be in heaven. If you're here tonight, and I didn't see, if you didn't raise your hand, or if you weren't able to, but tonight's a good night to take care of that. To give to the Lord Jesus Christ. And become a true worshiper. You can outside of being born again. So that's the first step. And the second step is to sign up to be a true worshiper for the rest of your life. A surrender to a life of worship. Being sold out. Being all in. A true worshiper. I know there's a weight that comes with that. This is not something light. It, can I just share a little bit bef- with you before we close? And just in a moment or a couple moments, I'm going to have the worship team come up and and sing over us. After I invite you to the front. A surrender to that worship. I was headed somewhere with a thought in closing and I completely lost it. I don't know if it has to do with 46 years old or if I just don't need to say it. The call to worship. Being a true worshiper.
The Father seeks those that are true worshipers. Here's what it was. I'm going to pick on singers, worship leaders, and platform leaders. There's many a song I've heard sung from the platform, and but some of those same people, I don't hear them singing out and about. Now, my mom was not an on-stage person at all. A few of you that knew my mother know that to be true. She had a big smile but she would have completely froze if you would have put a microphone in her hand. But she constantly whistled around the house and had the joy of the Lord. Here's what I'm saying. I know worship leaders and I know team members, but they don't have a song during the week. and that's not, I'm, I'm not trying to be critical. And it's fun that I can say that here tonight because I happen to be staying at the same place as the worship leader. And he's over there doing his thing and making some kind of noise. We were both making noises this morning. And he's singing as unto the Lord. And it was just on his heart. He, I don't think he was practicing. I think he was just having joy in his heart. And so that blessed me. So I can't be too critical of worship leaders. But I'm not one that can, you know, carry a tune. But on the job, I, I got to let it out sometimes. I got to give a shout to the Lord or praise the Lord ought to be frequent language where you work. And, you know, I could share a lot of stories with you, what I've learned from other people. But have some joy in your life as a true worshiper. A worshiper that worships in spirit and in truth. Worship team, if you would come. As they're coming to sing this amazing song, before they do that, um, y'all are welcome to play whatever y'all play and whoever plays. You can make as little or as much noise as you want, but I'm going to ask you to hold off on singing the song till we do business with God. So the rest of us, would we stand as we close? The Father is seeking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So tonight was an introduction to worship. We're going to dig into some of those things, what it means to us personally, what it means in our walk, not only on a Sunday morning, which I so enjoy, or conferences. I enjoy it with the best of you regarding worship. But we're going to talk about what it means from day to day and how we can apply it to our life and how we can learn to be a true worshiper and how we can deal with that attack. Because for so many years I was blindsided and I didn't have the help I needed and the resources and and God ended up giving me some opportunities to learn from and, and not take things, uh, things so personal and the attack of the call and, and the Continual answer to the call. A few more statements as I prepare to invite you to the front. True worship is valuing God above all else. Yes?
John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most in Him. This weekend, God is satisfying you with His presence. Some of us came here unsatisfied in certain rooms of our heart. But He's coming into those rooms and He's satisfying you. That's something He's doing for you. Would you do something for God tonight when I give the invitation? I want to leave you with this. How much is He worth to you? Is He worth coming to the front and signing up to be a true worshiper for the rest of your life? A worshiper that worships in spirit and in truth. And lastly, how much do we expend on Him? As I'm praying, I want you to come. I want you to even begin to come now as I invite you to sign up to be a true worshiper. I'm just going to ask you to stand around the front. If you want to kneel at the altar, if you need to go find a prayer room to lay out in, you're welcome to do that. You find your spot as a true worshiper. I'm not looking around at the moment, but maybe there's somebody seated where they're seated. There's some things really hurting you. And in order to get up, to come up here, you're going to have to leave your water pot by the forgive that one. You're going to have to let go. You're going to have to forgive God to allow what happened in your life. You're going to have to forgive the process and what took place in and around that very, very difficult situation in order to come and sign up to be a true worshiper. You're going to have to leave your water pot aside. That which was used to carry. Maybe it's something good you're involved in. And God is asking you to lay that aside, to sign up in quotes for the unknown, not knowing where this is going to take you. And in the coming days, I'm going to share some very personal stories of some things happened in my life regarding true worship. So maybe you're still seated there, but there's some persuasion that's coming over me as I'm choosing not to have eye contact with where you may be seated or what you may be dealing with. But I call you to come and be a true worshiper. It may not make sense. It's signing up to be a true worshiper that revelation happens in our life. Provision, financial provision. There was healing happening in the house tonight. There was things being healed in people's minds, in people's bodies, long before I came up to preach. And even more so now, there's healing happening all over these altars. It looked so very differently when we met God in the 90's. There was uncontrollable weeping that happened in the altars in the mid to late 90's. Waves of weeping would happen. 
loud, uncontrollable weeping. And for many years of my preaching, I was looking for the weeping in order to to determine if I was anointed to do this or not. Tonight, for one of the more earlier times, I'm so okay while you're coming to Jesus. This is the generation that's going to shift the worldview. A handful of Gideonites, a handful of those signing up to be true worshipers is what's going to take out the Midianites. The Gideonites took out the Midianites. You came as a Gideon tonight because there's not that many of you. But you're here. And you came. Sweetest moments in the ministry that I've been in in 24 years to release you to come to God the way you're coming to God. Weeping's okay, but this is not a weeping night. There's deep things of the Holy Spirit taking place in your life that will cause so many to say yes, Lord. As a ministry team, we're not feeling like we have to come put hands on all of you. This thing is going to explode into a movement of the kingdom of God because we're completely relaxed and okay with how you're coming to God. As a preacher of 24 years, I affirm this moment in your life, whether young or elderly or middle-aged or late teen, I love you. God loves you. And as you sense As you sense the release, I want you to stand and worship with the song that's being sung. If you need to stay put where you're at, you stay put. If it takes three hours or six, you stay put. If it takes two minutes, that's okay. But as you feel a release. We're just going to close out.